1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a
0: month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45
1: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today on the show, we're talking about building high performance habits and how you can get to the top and stay at the top in your career. I'm joined by Jessica Svenlove, who is a high performance coach and dietitian, and she's specialised in nutrition and high performing behaviours. She's worked with elite athletes and sporting teams all around Australia. From AFL right through to netball, Jess has helped high performers stay at the top by harnessing their natural energy centres, food, sleep and mindset. This was such a good conversation. We've split it into two parts. If you haven't listened to part one, go back, listen to the previous episode, and then come straight back here and listen to this one. Jess is going to dig into everything you need to know about high performance habits and building a high performance mindset. This is a podcast about making work work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. My name is Shelley Johnson. It's time to get to work. All right, we are back with Jess Spendlove for part two of this conversation about higher performance and how you get to the top and stay at the top. Jess, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back, Shell. So let us dig in. I want to know, we kind of left off talking about high performance profiles and this idea that people need to really understand themselves, build the self-awareness, and then create habits and practices that get them into a state of flow and help them to build their performance. I'd like to know, because you've worked really hard at your own personal routine to optimize your performance. Can you walk us through what does Jess Spendlove do in her week and in her days to become a high performer?
0: I will caveat this and say I've been playing around with things for a while. So if you're doing nothing, again, this is not your memo to go and do all of this. But for me, I am a morning person. So I, I find a morning routine works for me. Nothing too crazy it's it's I meditate when I wake up for five minutes I move in some way it might be a walk it might be a run it might be Pilates it might be weights it's movement of some way shape or form I make my bed which I do before after I meditate before I move I have a cooked breakfast, um, which really works for me. I have played around with a few different breakfasts and I just find when I have a cooked breakfast, my energy, my appetite is so much more stable across the day. Um, and that's, and I have a coffee. That's my morning. When I do that, I feel great. And no matter if I'm flying into state or I'm working at home or whatever that might look like, that always happens in some way, shape or form. So, Last week I had to go to Melbourne, early flight in the morning. I just did a 10-minute workout in my lounge room because I was like, I need to be on stage presenting, being my best. If I just skip that, I'm not going to be my best. So I just find a way to get it done. Um, I'll talk about my sleep routine because I'm really big on this and I think everyone can benefit from a sleep routine. I hear you, like, Shell, and I agree. Not everyone needs a morning routine like that as such, Um, but – we all sleep. Sleep is incredibly important to every aspect of how you feel and perform at work. Cognitively, it's where we do our majority of our physical recovery, like our brain development, all of it. So we all sleep and a lot of us don't do a very good job of it. So what a sleep routine can look like is just you know, one or two hours before you go to bed depending on who you are and what life looks like, you start to put things into practice. So for me, I get off my screens an hour before I go to bed. I dim the lights because light, blocks, um, melatonin production, which is the hormone involved in sleep. So we wanted to dim our lights. I have a hot shower or a sauna or a bath. I have a sauna in my complex, which I'm really fortunate for that. But any three of those things can help to relax you. But when we heat ourselves up, when we get out, we actually, our um, core body temperature drops. And when we go to bed, we actually drop in core body temperature. So that's like a helpful for a few reasons. Um, I'll then generally read or journal, but if I'm struggling to sleep, like I'm not a good sleeper, I love sleep. It's so important for me. But sometimes I have, you know, I struggle to switch the thoughts off, which is probably the main inhibitor to good sleep, aside from like screens and stimulants. Um, So if I'm particularly going through a, a poor Phase of sleep. I will do. I will journal and I will read and I will meditate. So, look, this has all been built up over a period of time, and it's also about knowing myself. Um, and probably the the most recent thing I've I've um, introduced, and I'm finding huge return just in terms of like my my productivity, my emotional health, um, my mental well being is being a little bit more strategic with my day and you know, I know what it's like, you've had the weekend, you're feeling fresh, you can sit down at your computer and you can smash out a day. And to be honest, you've probably done like a few days worth of work in a day. And then after that, you're exhausted. So rather than doing that, I will split my my day into kind of 90, 90 minute blocks about that. And every 90 minutes, I'll go 10, 15 minutes, just ideally outside depends where I am. But if I'm, if I'm not able to, it might just be away from the the screen, making a tea, maybe doing a meditation, or preferably it's outside in nature doing a walk with no screens. And that little micro break has really been a huge game changer for me. And, and to be honest, that's probably one of the easiest ones for people to implement from all of that. So yeah, that's my, my day. And then across the week, Look, exercise is a really important factor for me. It always has been. um, It's changed. I used to do a lot of high intensity, but with the health issues I've had and just where I'm at in my life, it doesn't work for me anymore. I don't subscribe to that. I do it once or twice a week, but it looks like a walk. It looks like a run. It looks like Pilates. It looks like something because physically and mentally that just helps me be my best. So Yeah, that's what, that's what my routine looks like. No, nothing too crazy in there, but just, yeah, I appreciate it might be a lot compared to what some people are doing. Um, It's just about starting somewhere. Do you have,
1: when you work with clients who have never, who don't have a routine at all, what do you say usually is like a small step to start with?
0: Yeah, so depends who they are. Um, To be honest, my philosophy is when you're elevating how someone wants to feel and perform, A little trick or secret I'll let you all in on is the earlier in the day you can start, the better. So when we were talking about breakfast, you know, one thing you were mentioning was your energy and your cravings, which I see a lot of people. We crash and burn in the afternoon. We crave sugar. We're then probably pretty hungry at dinner, have a pretty big dinner. Maybe we're craving after dinner. That is just your your brain's way of saying, hey, you haven't given me enough food. You haven't fueled me. I haven't rested across the day. I'm crashing. I'm tired. Give me the sugar to pick me up. So if we understand that, we go, okay, well, what's the solution we want to prevent that? Where can we look to? Let's look to the morning. So, you know, if you're having breakfast, it might be shifting what that is. And if you're not a breakfast eater, well, let's just try something. You know, I think a lot of people get the idea that, you need to train to improve like athletic performance. Like if you want to run a marathon and you've never really run, that requires quite a lot of training over many, many months. But with nutrition, it's like we learn it, we do it, therefore that should just be how it is. And it's like, well, no, it's an element of training. Mm -hmm. You need to train your stomach and you need to train your brain to be like, well, we're going to try this new thing, which is actually better for us. You might not like it for a few weeks, That's why we only do one thing and we push and then we see and feel the difference and then it gets a whole lot easier. So I'll often start there. Otherwise, yeah, the evening routine, maybe it's just let's just get off the screens and have a hot shower and look at a bit of a wind down. We can't just be on our screen, be on our TV, be on our phone. Most of us, my partner can and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how are you this person? I'm like doing my (laughs) full Get the screen away from me an hour before. He is that person. Not many people are. He's a dolphin, one of those like lack of routine people. (laughs) Um, I feel like I always throw him under the bus when I give examples because they're just such opposites. But um, most people can't do that. Most people need the wind down. And if you're in bed mentally planning your day, even just write down on a piece of paper, like all the thoughts, get them out and then get into bed.
1: Yeah, it's really... That one's really confronting because like even last night I found myself what would have been like 10.30 and I'm scrolling on Instagram and I can feel my mind just buzzing like with stuff and it's just all crap. Like I'm like, why am I doing this? And I kept telling myself, put the phone away, put the phone away. Anyway, it took me so long to get to sleep in the end because I just knew I was like overly stimulated and just like could not switch off. And I think you're right, like the blue light stuff – I know Huberman Labs podcast talks heaps about that of like what happens when you have that blue light between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. and how much that impacts your energy and sleep. I'm just curious, how does your sleep impact your ability to get into that flow state? And I don't know, you might need to describe what flow state is because some people, it might be the first time they're hearing that.
0: Yeah, and I love Huberman. He's amazing. His podcasts are long, but if you're into, you want the science, he's incredible. But look, there's a few things with sleep. And I think the main thing to understand is, I think we talk about sleep a lot in terms of quantity. How many hours sleep are you getting? That is important. That's one factor. But there's something that we call like your sleep architecture or sleep cycles. So there's actually four phases of sleep. One is only really a transition state, but there are three main phases of of sleep that we um, are in each night. We've got our light sleep, which we spend most of our time, 50%, but then we've got our deep and our REM sleep. Now, each phase has slightly different functions. So deep sleep is, as it might sound, you know, brain waves really slow down, heart rate breathing really drops. Most of this happens at the front of the night. Well, I shouldn't say most because we toggle between those three phases, um, but we do tend to have more deep sleep early in the night, and that's really where we have a lot of that physical recovery. So um, damage that's happened to our body and our muscles and our connective tissues, like training or no training. If you if you're training, there's there's more of that. But even just getting around, like there's there's buildup. So physically, that's where a lot of our recovery happens. And then in our REM sleep, which is our rapid eye movement sleep, which is where our brain is basically at the same activity levels of being awake and our eyes are really rapidly moving, but our body is totally like, there's no muscle tone. We're basically totally like paralyzed as such. Our body doesn't move. And this is where a lot of the cognitive recovery happens. So um, emotional processing, um, memories, um, there's something called the glymphatic system, which is basically where our brain would clear out all of the chemical debris that's built up over the day. Now, I just want to explain that because we can be getting enough sleep, but depending on stimulants or like what we've been doing, that can impact the different phases of sleep which there's no way of knowing that other than wearing a wearable so like I've got an aura ring on which I get a lot of my coaching clients to to get just so we've got that awareness because otherwise you know we just go by how we feel and look I mentioned that because yeah you can be getting enough sleep but just the quality can be a little bit impacted look short-term poor sleep like emotional agility is just impacted. So that's where we are. We're a little bit snappier, like our tolerance for things. If something changes at the last minute, we just can't handle it. Also, we've got like slower reaction time. It's like creativity and even just our memory. You know, you're like you're reading something or you're doing something and it's just not, you're like, why is this taking me so long? It could be because of your poor sleep. Um, Longer term though, more concerningly, it's really about putting us at risk of certain diseases and in particular cognitive declines. So, you know, this is if we're sleeping poorly for like years or decades, but there is that increased risk. So I guess to bring it back to in terms of like the day-to-day, if we're getting that poor sleep, it's just going to make everything harder. We're going to be more irritable, the quality of work we're doing, the ability to focus, the duration we're able to focus. It's just impacted because, as I mentioned, our brain has not had that recovery. It's not had that ability to consolidate all of the things that have happened and our, yeah, our emotional adaptability is significantly reduced.
1: Yeah, it's really, I'm just thinking about, Jess, what you would say to any of the parents listening who have little kids that wake them up asking for a friend at four o'clock in the morning every morning. (laughs) Um, which has felt like, like uh, my family's reality for a long time. What do you say to though? Because I, I kind of think about this sleep hygiene stuff and quality of sleep and go, oh, like how do I get quality of sleep when my reality is my kids wake up in the middle of the night consistently for multiple years?
0: <laughs> and I am always mindful about the, you know, the parents. It's like I never want to be this unrealistic out of touch person. And I know like sleep can be that thing that really divides the population. It's always going to come back to what behaviors can we control and how can we set ourselves up? So (laughs) not to call it out, but you said, you told me before I was in bed, 1030 scrolling on my phone on Instagram. So controllable behavior which like you're aware of it, but what is that circuit breaker? Is it just the phone stays in the kitchen, which is what I do. I do not bring my phone into the bedroom because if it's in there, I'm, I know it's there and also I'm on it. So can we just break that cycle or if it's, you know, the parent who like you're working or giving all this time to your children and then your time at night is on the couch when everyone's gone to bed watching the Netflix, which you then get sucked into the second episode, you may be having a chalky and a wine with it. So like that's your decompress, but those behaviors are not, they're perpetuating poor sleep. So it's really, where can we look at it? Um, There's also like, depending on what your work situation is, like if you're working from home, if there's an ability to nap and you're a napper, you can bank sleep. You can't catch it up. So like sleep debt is a thing, but if you're a napper, I'm not a napper, but you can bank it. Or also, you know, you mentioned Huberman. So I don't know if you've heard him talk about, um, non-sleep deep rest, which, or like yoga nidra, which these are types of meditations that you can do 10, 15, 20 minutes and they Drop, they change your brainwave. So it's like you're getting this deep rest while you're awake it is incredibly reinvigorating. So little strategies like that can just help top you up across the day so the deficits aren't as great. Can you tell us more about that um, non-rest? Oh yeah, non-sleep deep rest. So it's, a t- it's Huberman, it's, it's his specific um, type of meditation. It's very similar to a yoga nidra, which is very much like a breathwork style practice. Um, typically the, the non-sleep deep rest is about a 20-minute track and it will talk you through, there's so many different types. Just I just do Spotify non-sleep deep rest and I go oh, 10 minutes, 15, 20, depending on what t- how much time I've got. And you just listen to it. It talks you through different types of breathing. It talks you through different kind of checkpoints with your body. But by doing that, you're still awake. But it downregulates, you know, your brain. It switches into a different brainwave state, which is similar to when we do start to drop into those different types of sleep. So it's very restorative, but it's not. It's without that um, potential, like grogginess that can happen when you nap. There's people out there that can nap anywhere, anytime, and it doesn't impact their sleep. I'm very jealous. That's not me. Um, And then there's people out there who anytime they nap, they can feel horrific. So again, that's where you know yourself. You might feel like you want to nap, but it's going to have a consequence. So maybe try some of these other practices. So yeah, it's called non-sleep deep rest, or you could also look up yoga nidra. Um, You could do YouTube, you could do Spotify. There's so many different recordings out there. This is why I love your work so much because you just give
1: such practical stuff. Like I, I know that our listeners today, will be able to go away and just start implementing stuff. Like it's not like theoretical. There's really practical things you can do to build your energy. And for me, I'm the same as you. I'm not a napper, Jess, but I'm definitely going to try that because I can tell that when I have a bad night's sleep, which is, <laughs> feels like most nights with little kids, I, I just feel fatigued like, and tired. And I'm like, Oh, like, where's my energy? Like, I can't find it. But the idea of just doing that 15 minute deep breath work. And to me, it's just like super practical. So thank you.
0: The other thing I just, sorry, I want to add there, like, so that's like a, a restorative practice. The other area, nutrition and sleep are really interconnected with each other and understanding when we sleep poorly, we are driven to want to eat more and it also messes with our hunger and satiety hormones. So when we're sleeping poorly, our hunger hormone is actually increased. So I think just knowing that is helpful. The most important thing is what can we then do to counteract that? And having that really proactive strategy with your nutrition making sure every meal and snack has a really good amount of protein. So protein we get from our animal foods, um, dairy-based foods, and also plant foods like lentils, legumes, um, tofu, soy milk, that type of thing. We want to be having a a good source of one of those types of foods every single meal and snack. Now, most people, 90, 95% plus, do not get enough at breakfast and snacks. So Even if like, if you go on my Instagram, there's so much information on this, but if you even just focus on the consistency piece, eating every three to four hours and having a good amount of protein, that can at least buffer some of that physiological changes that are happening. So, you know, this is where it really comes into like, do we push that domino in the positive direction and support or do we have that downward spiral? And most people we're tired. Therefore we don't want to prep or we're just grabbing the most convenient thing. Most people are not having a deliberate snack in the afternoon, which is when the sugar cravings hit. I had to laugh. I went for a run this morning and a coffee shop. I get my coffee at. There was a sign that was like special $10 coffee and sweet between two thirty and 4 PM. And I was like, Devil sign. That is the word. <laughs> that is so enticing and that's what so many people want and that's what they're getting sucked into because they're tired, they're looking for that hit, they're looking for that pick-me-up, but that is going to perpetuate that cycle because it's not going to satisfy them. They're having ca- caffeine, which is a stimulant quite late in the day, which can impact some people's sleep, and it's not filling them up, so therefore they're overeating later on. So... Um, understanding but again going okay well I'm going to start with a good breakfast I'm going to either buy this like I'm going to get rather than avocado on toast at the cafe I'm going to get a couple of eggs with it or some smoked salmon Um, or as you're doing I'm taking you know yogurt pouch or a couple of yogurt pouches with me because it's quick it's convenient and it's ticking that nutritional box and you won't so much be rewarded for it in the moment but you are later in the day it's nearly like you go oh my energy is actually better than it normally is or oh, I'm not actually craving the sweet thing that I normally crave here. That's where it shows up.
1: When you talk about eating, and I've seen you talk about this on Instagram and LinkedIn, about big meals before bed. Can you talk to us about how that impacts our sleep and energy the next day?
0: Yeah, it's... A big meal before bed is something we want to limit. Look, most people dinner is their biggest meal, and again, that's often a byproduct of under eating, irregularly eating across the day, and also like habitually, that's what they're used to. From a sleep hygiene point of view, you ideally want to be having that main meal two to three hours before bed. It just allows for more digestion to take place, which is quite an active, you know, physiological response, which can interfere with getting into sleep. So sleep latency or all those different cycles that I was talking about. So the ideal if you can control meal two to three hours before. And then if you do need something because you're hungry, that's where you'd want to have a small snack. So maybe a yogurt or handful of nuts, um, something like that before bed just to quench that appetite. But yeah, that's a really common cycle. Late big dinner, into bed not really supporting that, that sleep routine, sleep hygiene piece. And then the cycle, we just continue on.
1: I'd love to know your thoughts. Cause I know your work really goes into how nutrition and sleep impact your energy and performance at work. And like those things are like super crucial to get right. If you want to become a high performer, I'd love to know your thoughts on like some of those kind of I don't know if they're like fad cultures or diet cultures out there, things like that, that um, we get, we see, and there's always a buzz one. Like I know intermittent fasting has been big. I know there's been lots of things out there. What's your take on diet culture and which ones should we look out for as kind of like red flags?
0: Yeah, they're they're never going to go away. They're always going to be there and they're often going to like reinvent themselves just with a different name in a few years time. So look, I know it doesn't sound as sexy. Like we get sucked in. We want instant gratification that's how we're wired to want that whereas what we actually you know what actually serves us is being able to resist that um when something sounds like it's solving all of the all of your problems in one diet or one pill it's generally a huge red flag and intermittent fasting is an interesting one because scientifically there is some evidence to support the benefits particularly from a longevity piece However, in the trenches, when I actually see people applying it, it's generally people using it as an excuse to justify their poor behaviors. And it's just putting a label on it. I don't eat breakfast, therefore I start at lunch. And my response to that is, How do you feel? Coming back to those metrics that matter that we discussed in the first. What's your energy levels like? What's your appetite? Are you craving things? How's your performance? If they're all in check, well, yeah, that is something that is probably supportive. And if you find it sustainable, then it works. But if it's something that we're suffering through, we feel pretty average, we're actually not feeling like our best selves, and it's really impossible, then it's not something that's going to serve you. As we've said, consistency and that compounding effect when it comes to nutrition and sleep and all of the 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 health and well-being variables, that is the thing that is going to amplify everything that you do. So for me, I look at intermittent fasting as an advanced tool. And, yeah, diet culture, it's just I think people are becoming – like more alert and more aware and I do think there is a shift like I have seen that post COVID I don't know if you have where I think we are looking at things from a different lens it really did challenge a lot of people and and has it's kind of clued in a little bit more But yeah, if it sounds too good to be true, that's when it's just like, you know, let's be mindful. It's like the dodgy salesman, like (laughs) waving a big sign to come in. But it's like, you know, that's that's it really boils down to consistency over intensity every single time. Yeah,
1: consistency over intensity. I love that. And I love I mean, I love it but I recognize the discipline in it. <laughs> it's like consistency and discipline, like doing the thing day, na- day out, like they're going for a walk in the morning for 40 minutes every day or eating breakfast. Like it's so simple, but it is a daily discipline. And I, I love what you've said throughout this whole thing of, if you want to become a high performer you have to show up consistently and think about those three non-negotiables that you talked about in the first episode around eating, Breath sleep. Work
0: and sleep oh, and movement.
1: That's right. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job, you can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. I'd love to kind of round out these conversations. We've, we've done part one and part two. And in your opening of part one, you talked about this idea of growth mindset. And I think a lot of how we perform at work comes down to our mindset, either enabling how we want to show up and behave or holding us back from how we want to show up and behave. And I think the people that I've seen in my career that are high performing in the long term have had this foundational piece of mindset right and that's where they've developed those habits that you describe. They've been consistent. They've seen the losses as learnings. So, what is it that you think if you if you were to try and boil down what shapes someone's mindset, what shapes the mindset of a high performer? What what is there that they do differently to everyone else?
0: Great, great question. I mean, there's there's so many things that stand out, um, and I know I've touched on it, but I do really want to reiterate this whole proactive piece and putting things in whether that's well-being whether that's leadership whether that's just their entire being it's this proactive piece it's what can I do to set myself up for success rather than what am I doing to band-aid like the leaky bucket that's like the leaky bucket analogy how can we plug that and you know bring it there's one question I mean there's a lot of kind of ways that I, I frame this but one that stands out to me is like the difference of saying whether you're at home or in the office or whatever let's say you've done a little bit of prep and you've got your lunch or you know where you're going and it's like what have I got for lunch therefore what am I going to have versus I'm disorganized I'm unorganized you know I'm caught up in the daily doing of life and i I'm getting to lunch probably a little bit late and the question is, oh, what do I feel like for lunch? What do I have for lunch and what am I going to get is a very different question to what do I feel like for lunch for any single person and you can extrapolate that out to every aspect of their life. And so when there is that element of being proactive, you know, that doesn't mean your whole entire Sunday is dedicated to setting up your week, but a little bit of intentionality. So for me, I often say to people like, That can look like ordering in some meals or doing an online grocery shop or maybe it is doing some preparation, but what is it that's going to work for you? Ask yourself, what is going to work for me? And look, when you're surrounded by good people, good culture, other similar like-minded individuals who also have a growth mindset – it really makes it a lot more like transferable, like nearly via osmosis. Um, So, you know, another piece of it is surround yourself with some good people, whether it's colleagues, whether it's mentors, whether you're naturally in that environment or you need to seek it out. To answer your initial question, I think the, 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 you know, whether it's talent, luck or hard work, I think luck is the least influential. You know, luck is created. It's by getting yourself in the right room or getting yourself surrounded by the right people. So um, create your own luck, create your own circle, you know, create, develop, nurture your own growth mindset. I love that so much about luck, luck being the
1: least influential one. And I think that's such a good call out. I, I, was also thinking as you're talking about mindset, Jess, especially when it comes to nutrition and exercise, because I've always had a weird relationship with nutrition and exercise. I think I've been pretty like, and I've said heaps of times on this podcast because back in the day when we first started this podcast, it was me and Emily Bowen, Em would like exercise every single day. She was like super fit. And I like never (laughs) exercise. Like I was just like, nah. But now I've been like a little bit more intentional with it, doing my daily walks. But I think one of the things that happened for me In my mindset around what I eat and how I exercise or move was a bit of shame-based stuff. Like I would like go into this, like, I don't know, like negative spiral and shame myself into thinking, oh, well, I, you know, I like, okay. So I'll give you an example. (laughs) Last week I was recording a podcast down in Sydney. I was coming back really late, hadn't eaten. And I was like, I'm just going to stop in Hungry Jack's. Previously, I would have a bit of like beating myself up if I ate something bad or like, I don't know. And so then I just got this weird relationship with it altogether. And I think my mindset was just pretty negative. And so now if I have a bad day where I feel like I don't perform at my best, I don't shame myself about it. I'm just like, that's one day. That one day doesn't decide. Like, and I just start over and I have like more self-compassion. What's your take on all that?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you've brought that up because I haven't really highlighted that and that is such a common belief. That high performing all or nothing mindset, I've got to be 100% on or I'm totally off. And it's like, no, and, and, and an approach that I use with all of my clients and we break it down more specifically, but overarching, 80/20. High performing isn't 100% of the time. It's around eight. If you, you you'll get good results in terms of your energy, how you feel, your health, all of it. If you are doing you know the things 80% of the time. If you break that down if we're using nutrition as an example and you eat three meals a day 7 days a week, 20% of the times four meals. Once we give ourselves that permission, shift our mindset to actually look at it like that, it is a game changer and you know, I have seen this work. It's it's I guess it's somewhat of a permission piece to start for people, but it then quickly becomes like a philosophy piece. It's a way that they can live their life, encourage themselves to to make those good decisions for them. But again, go, I'm, I'm human and I never want someone to sacrifice things that they enjoy because food and, and your life is for living and for enjoyment, so it should never come at the cost. You know, you see a lot of the like, what do they say? It's like... Um, using weight as an example, but losing 5% weight isn't worth sacrificing 95% of your life. And it's like a hundred percent correct. This whole piece, we don't want it to become a toxic health obsessed piece. That's too far the other way. It's just the majority of the time, 80% of the time, what can we do? And I nearly take pride in this. I used to get offended by it, but I work with a lot of people would say like C-suites or uh, entrepreneurs. and, And they're like, I just feel so silly because you've just made this so simple for me and so easy for me to apply and I'm like that's taken like five years of university and 15 years of doing this to make that really complex thing so simple but each and every single person it's finding what makes you tick, what you like, you never want to sacrifice that but coming back to your why and if you're hanging your hat on I want to do this to lose weight or I want to do this for some sort of like objective external outcome. We're less attached to that. Whereas Mm -hmm. when we start to go, I want to feel better, I want to have more energy, I want to enjoy my life more, that stuff matters every single day. And to come back to those metrics that matter, that's quality of life. And when we tune into that and we hang our hats on the things that elevate that, we're really onto a winner. And that's why we only want to do one thing at a time. So we give our space the time to see, does this work, does this not, what do I need to titrate? um yeah i've got so much stuff on my instagram really nutrition specific and others so if you like it come and find me linkedin as well i'm hanging out there a lot at the moment because i'm playing in this space a lot um i love talking about this stuff because i really want to make the difficult simple and we've gotten it so wrong we've been told it has to be hard we've been told it has to be impossible and it actually gets to be really freaking easy and you actually get to have it all I'm here for it all. I want you to stay at the top, feel the things, thrive in business, thrive in life, thrive in your career, and you actually can.
1: Oh my goodness. What an amazing place to close this conversation. And you know what? For me, it's such a highlight hearing you talk about finding internal motivator for this stuff. Don't focus on the external, like the the weight loss, the other stuff focus on hey i want to feel good i want to i want to feel engaged and energized and enjoy what i do and that's my why not some kind of external motivator or reason because that's always going to have a longer impact jess i just want to say thank you so much everyone get on jess's instagram we'll have the link in the show notes to your instagram and your linkedin so people can follow you and if you enjoy the show share it with a friend and give us a five star rating and review because that helps us do more episodes get the podcast out there Jess I just want to say thanks so much for hanging out
0: thanks for having Michelle it's been great